Hello, this is Two Worlds, One Me, the podcast in which I, Slavenka Vukovic Brian, talk to interesting people from all over the world who have moved away from the country of their birth to settle and to live in another country. Every episode, I ask guests about the worlds that make up their lives, and we have lots of interesting conversations. Knowing that you are not going back, leaving um, your family behind, leaving your memories behind. Yeah, it was so hard. I hope you enjoy listening. On with the show. My guest today is Hala Al-Dogli. Hala is Syrian from Damascus. She has lived in the UK for six years now. Hala works as an interpreter from English into Arabic. She and her wonderful husband, Ahmed, have been married for 19 years now and have two gorgeous children, a boy in secondary school and a girl in primary school. Hala says that she's still working on improving her English in her spare time. And when she gets an opportunity to escape from everyone, she enjoys sitting at home in peace with nobody around and just relaxing and watching TV. Welcome to my podcast, Hala. Thank you so much. Thank you, Slavenka. It is so nice to have you here, Hala. Could you tell me about your two worlds? What are your two worlds? Yeah, my two worlds are Syria and UK. I lived my whole life in Syria. And UK, you know, I came here, settled with my children and they grow here. I'm working here. I've never worked in my country, so new experience here. So, yeah, I think it is Syria and the UK. Could you tell me a little bit about Syria, about your childhood and growing up in Syria? Yeah, it's any normal child. As a normal child, I have my brother, my mother, and I have one brother. We lived in a nice neighborhood. I went to a Christian schools. It was a bit different than my other cousins' schools. Mm-hmm. So I knew about different religions. It wasn't a very regular school when you went to. Yes, it was a private school. What are your memories? Was it a happy childhood? Let's say normal childhood. I went to this school. I was uh, too young. The children there was like four years old. Yeah, but I was younger. I was two years and a half. Oh, wow. I was so young to go to school and I didn't like it since the day one. I didn't like going <laughs> to school. And yeah, that grows with me. I, I finished my high school, but I wasn't very keen to go to school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. growing up and being a teenager in Syria, in Damascus, tell me a little bit about that. What was that like? Going to school, then like going um, out together, hanging out. What, what sort of hanging out? What would you do when you finish school? Going back home, eat, and then the homework. But then you can go out with your friends, for example, to a restaurant or even to meet them just for a walk, uh, going to town. Mm-hmm. 
now it's different these days. Teenagers doesn't like to go out with their friends. They prefer mm-hmm. sitting on the PlayStation playing with their friends. But our generation, yeah, our generation wasn't like this. I finished the high school and I said, I'm not going to university because as I said, I didn't like uh, studying. I'm going to school since day one. So after your high school, did you get a job? Did you start working? I started to learn English. So lots of courses to learn English. And then I got married. Mm -hmm. So I did nothing, just sitting home. That's what's normal. All women in Syria does. Mm -hmm. Their job is like taking care of their home and their husband. What is it like at that stage? You got married and you are a housewife. Are you still studying English? No. After I got married, no. Uh I stopped. Okay. And what happens then? Nothing interesting. Just sitting home, going to see friends, going out, going to shopping, uh, travels. And yeah, there is nothing that I did in that period for my future. What was Ahmed doing at that time, your husband? Yeah, he's working. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He has to work Mm -hmm. because he he needs to provide life. He needed to provide for the family. What was his job in, in Syria? He had a factory, he and his dad, mm-hmm. they had the, their own factory. And what? So it was like a family business for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And what did the factory produce? Produce fabric to do women clothes. That, that sounds quite a, a big responsibility to run a business like that. Yes, yeah, he so has he... a big responsibility. So at what point did you two decide to leave the country? to leave Syria? We had a very good life. We, we didn't like think that one day we will leave the country, but it's because of the war. Mm-hmm. So after my husband lost his factory and we lost our home, mm-hmm. so there were nothing for us there to stay for. So we decided the best thing is to leave. Um, and I choose England because I used to visit a lot here because my sister used to live here in Bath. She's married to an Irish man. He used to work here and live here. So she came straight away from Damascus to Bath. I used to visit her every summer. I came here and stay with her a few months. So that's what I used to do in in summer. Mm -hmm. Because of that, I had a visa. And when things become so difficult in Syria and when we lost everything, I decided to come here and to do an asylum to stay here. That must have been very hard for you to make that decision to leave the country. It was, yeah, it was so hard, but it was the only option. Mm. It was a big and a huge step to do. Did you already have children at that point when you decided to leave the country? My son was six or seven and my daughter was one year old. So it was incredibly hard at that time. So could you cast your mind back to that point when you are packing and deciding what to take with you? It must have been incredibly difficult. Could you Tell me a little bit about that. It is actually one of the things I always try to forget, force myself to forget that moment. Mm. Yeah. It was so hard. Knowing that you're not going back, 
It's not like saying to yourself, for example, okay, I'm going to spend five years to study and then going back. It's knowing that you are not going back, leaving um, your family behind, leaving your memories behind. Yeah, it was so hard. I can imagine. That is one of the most difficult things. So what does one take with them? I always ask myself, if I imagine that sort of situation, what does one really decide to to take? What did you take with you? Um, actually, I didn't decide what to take. It, just, it was just clothes because I lost everything in my house. So I had nothing to take mm-hmm. with me, like photos, wedding uh, gifts, uh, everything. I lost everything. They forced us to leave the house. They took it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they, yeah, and they took the house and they um, make us leave without taking anything. Mm-hmm. And the same thing uh, happened to Ahmed's factory. He had to just leave everything. That one is bond. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. factory is bond. Yeah. So you're packing your bags. You just really have very little, little to pack anyway. And yes. you, you're just packing your clothes and just bare, yeah. bare essentials, things that you need to, to get. Yeah, done. I was living on my par- parents' house mm-hmm. that period of time. Yeah, there is nothing. It is only the um, luggage, the mm. suitcase, and that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not much mm-hmm. <laughs> so how did you come to England because the airport was closed at that time we drove to Lebanon and then we took the flight from Lebanon to Heathrow so you arrived to Heathrow airport with Ahmed and your two no, children no 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 it's only me and the children Ahmed couldn't come because he doesn't have a visa Right. So I had to stay for one year and a half here with the children before he could join us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was difficult as well. You were on your own with two children, Heathrow Airport. And did you have anywhere to go from there? I tried to ask the immigration people there. At the airport? I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what happened or who I met there, everything was like flash in my mm. memory now, that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Leaving, leaving Ahmad, um, leaving my brother, saying goodbye, and then coming, uh, fly, and then landed in the airport. And Yes. Mm. I can't remember what happened then, but I remember I went after that to a city, I think I slept in a hotel for one night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then I went to the home office. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Croydon. They took me to another different city, Birmingham. They provided accommodation for you. Mm-hmm. Then they study your case. Mm-hmm. And then you choose where you want to live. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you have your visa and biometric that's that's kind of paperwork mm-hmm. when you have the permission to live here then they could let you go you have the, the freedom that the choice they suggest me to live in Leicester because there is a Muslim community there 
but I prefer to come to Bath because I know the city. Yes. I had my sister's friends here, so I thought maybe I could have company or help or something like this from them. Mm-hmm. So thinking of the community was quite important or some sort of network that is familiar to you was extremely important at that point. So what was it like coming to Bath at that point? I was lucky that I have a friend here, my sister's friend. I know her. Mm-hmm. She helped me. I managed to have a house and to send my son to school. My little one was so little, so she couldn't go even to nursery. Mm. I was working on Ahmed's paperwork to get him here. But the problem was I was so depressed, mm. so mm. I couldn't do anything. Everything was moving slowly. And mm. yeah, I wasn't very happy. Yeah, it well, must have been exceptionally hard. But you are such a strong woman to have done all that by herself, to brought the children with you and made all these moves. I'm absolutely fascinated at how strong you Thank are. Thank you. They keep very telling strong. me this, but I don't feel like this. I, I feel I'm so weak from inside. Yeah. Everything, as I told you, was mm. moving so slowly. And Culturally, we are different than um, English people. I think English people are so calm and take it easy, but we are not like them. We all want everything to happen very quickly and uh, we, we don't have that patience to, mm-hmm. to wait. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand this, um, this culture to being calm. When Ahmed arrived, was it easier for you? Unfortunately, it wasn't because Ahmed, in Syria, he used to do everything. He used to be the leader of the house. I thought that's what is going to be the life here. Because, you know, when you're so tired and exhausted, depressed, you just want the person to take everything off my shoulders and he's taking the responsibility. Mm. But what happened is, He was also depressed. He came with very, very little English. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he needed lots of support Mm -hmm. going to GP, just everything. I felt at that time like I have another child. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. he was frustrated because he can't do anything. He was so, so depressed because Mm -hmm. he can't do anything. He felt powerless, completely powerless. And that is a terrible feeling. Mm. Yeah. He couldn't do um, anything properly till he learned um, English. So when he learned English, he got a job. He started bit by bit to go back to his normal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it's not, it's not like when he came, I felt like relief. No, not at all. Mm. It took a lot of time till he get used to the culture, to learn English. Yes. And the children, how did the children settle? Easy. Mm-hmm. Very easy. Amr, my son's name is Amr. Because he was in a good school in Syria, he has some English. He came here. It took him less than six months, I think. Less to be, to be fluent. That's fantastic. That's so good yeah. to hear. And uh, my little one, she doesn't speak Arabic. When we come, she was one year, one year and a half. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We speak Arabic at home. I don't know why she doesn't speak Arabic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She learned English. 
So her language is English. They do say that bilingual children take a bit longer to process both languages, but once they have processed them, they're fine. So maybe that will all come at some point. You never know. Human brain is an amazing thing. She's eight now. Uh And I think she found it difficult to pronounce it. I think she understood everything, but she can't reply. That's still a big bonus that she can understand you. Yeah, totally agree, yes. Is it easy to make English friends here for you? Well, I don't think so. You can make friends, but not not real friends who understand you, because still the the language barrier, Um, not very confident to talk and to express myself when it's friendship really friendship you need to talk to express yourself to to show feelings and everything but i i feel like i always have that barrier i'm not satisfied with my english so always feel embarrassed to talk embarrassed to make mistakes i'm scared to make any mistake to make people upset with me maybe this is not their culture it wasn't easy for me you are worried about cultural mistakes as well as language mistakes. Yes. Would you say that knowing and learning the language is probably one of the most important things for settling in in a new country? Uh, yes, this is the key. I'll say this is the key. If you want to go to a foreign country, the key is the language. Because if mm-hmm. you don't know the language, you're just an outsider. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. You can't communicate, even though the, uh, people said my English is good and I'm working as an interpreter, but I still feel I need a lot and a lot. Mm-hmm. The English people you know here, when they hear that you're from Syria, how do they react and are they supportive? They are supportive helpful they are really amazing everyone i know here is an amazing person literally mm-hmm. i got a lot of help a lot of support from a lot of really amazing people but the problem is me myself is thinking always they really want to be friends with me i think it's something in my personality your circle of friends at the moment are mainly people from syria or from other countries it is mixed from syria english people i have mexican spanish people so mixed actually that's great. Have you been back to Syria since you arrived to England? No, never. Do you have family in Syria now? I have my mom and dad, my brother and his family and my sister. Have they been able to visit you? No, no, no countries give Syrian people visa. So I expect you use Skype and Zoom and internet a lot to communicate. We communicate on WhatsApp. You, you use WhatsApp to communicate with your family? Yes. With my sisters every day. And with my mom and dad, let's say once or twice a week. When you think of home, do you think of the home you have created here in England? Or do you think of home as Syria? I'm thinking about home created here in England. Mm-hmm. Say home. Mm-hmm. home is when you feel safe. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. what I can say. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I feel safe here. This is my home. And my children doesn't know Syria. Um, he can like, he have a, 
like a little of the memories. Like sometimes he mentioned things. I, I was surprised. Oh, how can you remember this? Mm-hmm. But um, Maria doesn't have any memories. They have their friends here. Their life is here. And when your children has their life in a country, this must be your country or your home. Do you feel comfortable within your home and what you have created now? I feel happy as well. That's great to hear. That's so good to hear. I'm so happy for that. Thank you. So happy for you. How do you feel about having moved? Do you think it's, yeah. it was a good move? Yeah, this is the best thing I have done, the best thing for my life. When I see the news and see how bad it is, and the, the country is becoming worse and worse in everything. So there is issues there with electricity, issues with petrol, with everything. So every time I uh, listen to the news, I feel this is the best step I have ever done. England is your refuge, your sanctuary. You feel safe here. Yes, exactly. That's good to hear. When you think of any lessons that you have learned from living here and from your journey, what would they be? What would you tell other people is important when you want to settle in another culture? Let's say if I knew like I'm going to live in England, I would continue learning English in my country. So if someone wants to go to other country to settle, learn the language first. It's going to make it easier. Not only with people shopping, like uh, renting home, learning to drive, everything, everything. So make yeah. sure you can speak the language well before you move to the country. Yes. Where do you see yourself in the future? Good question. I don't know. Probably here with my children. Yeah, probably. That's I good. don't have the hope to going back. Even though if it is like inside me, I want to go back. But everything will prevent this. I'm sure the children won't accept to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, they have no friends there. Their friends, their world is here. So even if like my heart wants to go back, I can't, I won't destroy my uh, children's life. Would you like to go to Syria to visit? I would love to, yeah, to be honest. I would love to. Do you think that's going to be possible in a few years' time? I'm hoping. I want my children to meet their grandparents and their auntie and uh, uncle. I want to meet my cousins. I want to walk on Damascus Street, on the old Damascus. I would love to. Thank you very much, Hala, for your story. Thank you for taking us to Syria and talking about your culture and your experiences. You are an incredibly strong woman. You may not realize that, but you are. You're doing a fantastic job. Thank you very much for having me as your guest. Thank you, really. This was Two Worlds, One Me. Thank you so much for listening. Do let me know if you would like to talk about your worlds and share your story. The email is hello at twoworlds.oneme.cafe. 
You can also see all the details in the show notes. Come back next time. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode and tell your friends. <laughs>